have since uh, Pastor Mark um, and Katie are gone, uh, we have the uh, privilege of having Alan um, speak to us this morning. Um, if you guys don't know, he's been here for about nine months or so. He and his wife, Leona, they moved here about nine months ago and, and have been attending since then. So please uh, welcome um, Alan uh, Gerber this morning. Thank you, Luke. Um, new place for me. So uh, it takes a little bit used to get used to a different pulpit, different chairs, different people. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll get together and we'll figure things out as we go along this morning. Uh, just a, a few words of introduction for, for us. Uh, many of you have no clue who I am or why I'm here. So let's uh, back up a little bit. Uh, Alan Gerber is my name, a retired pastor from uh, our, our Conference of Churches, the NAB. Uh, we, Leona and I, moved here from Valley City, North Dakota in July of last year and uh, are living now in the uh, in Brooklyn Center. Uh, and I tell our family, tell the people, it's the right name because for the places we need to go, we're in the center. So we're in Brooklyn Center. And we can get to most of the places we need to in somewhere around 20, 25 minutes. Um, I've pastored five churches full-time in our conference, uh, and uh, four then as an interim after my beginning of retirement. And um, sometimes we get asked, well, why did you move to Minneapolis? Well, the primary reason, and maybe the only adequate reason, is we have family here. And uh, three, of our of our, three of our four children live in the metro, and we can get to all of them, and they can get to us, and uh, it's good to be around them and to be part of their lives. The, uh, the fourth of our children, the youngest, lives in uh, uh, Washington State, far northwest corner of the state, and has no intention of ever moving back to the Midwest, so we get to travel once in a while probably. Um, as Luke said, we've been uh, attending here, fellowshipping here since sometime last fall, and um, uh, finding this feels like a good home church for us, and we are, uh, are glad to be a part of, of the fellowship here. Coming through about the right volume? Okay, good. Uh, tend to, if I speak too loudly, I'm going to make myself cough, so I'm going to keep it calm, and you're going to will depend on Liz to get it through to you. There's an imaginative story that tells of a day when the sun did not rise. Six o'clock came and there was no sign of dawn. At seven o'clock, there was still no ray of light. At noon, it was black as midnight. No bird sang and only the hoot of an owl broke the silence. Then there came the long, black hours of the afternoon. Finally, evening arrived, but no one slept that night. Some wept, some wrung their hands in anguish. Every church was thronged with people on their knees. They thus they remained the whole night through, after the long night of terror and agony. Millions of eager, tear-streaked faces were turned toward the east. When the sky began to grow red and the sun rose, there was a loud shout of joy. 
as people were glad, again, glad to see the sun again. The sun had risen after a day of darkness. Guess what? The sun came up this morning. We've never had a day like that, have we, fortunately? But I suspect that for some of us, maybe for many of us, depending on what's going on in our daily lives, there have been those mornings when it seemed like the sun didn't come up. When life was, was so heavy around us, when there was so many things that seemed to be against us, we wondered whether this was going to be a good day at all. In the midst of one of those kinds of days, this verse came to mind. If God is for us, who can be against us? And I would like to have us notice the word if at the beginning there, not in the sense of iffy, but more in the sense of since it is true that God is for us, who is against us? But I'd like to um, sort of probe the little bit the idea that God is for us and, and make it stronger than we might be inclined to at the beginning. When, I say, when we say that God is for us, it means a lot more than that God is on our side. In fact, the God who is for us has brought us to his side, not sort of joined us on our side. Or we could sometimes think somebody's for us, meaning that they, they have our back. No, that's not the sense that we're talking about here, because God is not meant for emergency purposes only. He's the one who's acting. He's the one who is, who is directing the affairs. He's the one who's making sense out of everything. He's not just there as our emergency when everything else fails and we need somebody behind us. And the verses that we will notice in the larger reading that, that Luke brought to us will show us that when God is for us, it's really all we need. There's four truths in this Bible passage that I want to expand on that will sort of prove to us that God is on our side, but will also show what it means for us, the results for us, that we understand and realize that God is on our side. From verse 32, probably the primary reason that we understand this, God is on our side. He gave his son. The one unquestionable proof that God is for us is that he gave his son. The first part of Luke, of verse 22. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. When you're going through life's difficulties, when you're going through life wondering whether this makes sense or that makes sense or whether tomorrow is going to make sense at all, though, if you want to know that God cares about you, look at Jesus on the cross. If you wonder if there's anything good in life for you, if anything's ever going to come up good, if everything's ever going to turn better, 
Remember that God gave his son for the forgiveness of your sins. If, if everything else we're going to talk about this morning were taken away from us, if, if nothing about this life seems good at all, except that we know that we are children of God, our sins have been forgiven, that we belong to him, that would do it. That would make it all worthwhile. That would mean that we are of all people most blessed to have eternal life through faith in the Son of God. So in our spiritual lostness, in our hopelessness, in what the Bible describes as spiritual death, God came to us in the person of his Son and he rescued us. He he revealed to us the love of God. He, he opened for us the way back to God. He, he opened the door for us to come into the presence of God as redeemed children of God, forgiven, made new, transformed, born again. All of those words apply to bring us into a personal relationship with himself. He rescued us, came to us in the person of Jesus. God is for us? Of course he is. He gave us his son. And if we wanted to, we could actually stop right there. Because the statement God is for us, the statement God gave his son, that proves the whole thing. That puts it all together. Paul didn't stop there, and I won't either. We've got a while to go anyhow. But really, that, that's the heart of it. That, that's, that's the core of it. He gave us his son. And then in the verses around this, Paul keeps telling us, see, I told you so. It's true. This is what it means. This is why we count on it. This is what it means in our lives. The rest of verse 32 gives us the next reason. It begins again, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He gives us all things. Now, put it into the context of what he's saying here. doesn't mean that he's he got this big, this big sheet and he's over us and he just opens it up and everything falls out and we have everything for us. Put it in the context of what he's saying, that Jesus died for us, he gave himself for us. The train of thought here is that God has already provided, proven that he's on our side in the offering up of his son. And therefore, we can assume that he continues to be on our side in providing for us. God is not in any sense a meager giving, giver. He's not in any sense one who does just enough. He's lavish. He's abundant. He's, poor choice of words maybe, he's an overachiever in the way he gives to us. How many seeds would an apple tree have to produce to reproduce itself? 
One. How many seeds does an apple tree produce in its lifetime? <laughs> is God an abundant giver? Yeah, he is. One of our daughters, quite a few years ago, had a serious medical uh, condition from which she, through which she came and is healthy and doing well. She had this saying that she would bring to us once in a while where things seemed to be a little bit maybe tough for her. God didn't save me from the ocean to drown me in the sea. God didn't save us from sin in order to leave us floundering the rest of our lives. He who gave his son for us, he who brought us into uh, eternal life, who gave us salvation, has now given us what it takes to live that life here on this earth day by day. He not only gives us life, he gives us everything we need to live out that life for him and with him. And he just keeps on giving in abundance. It's good for us once in a while, not just annually in November on Thanksgiving Day. It's good for us to once in a while to stop and think of all the blessing that he gives us. The, the abundance that he just pours into our lives, the, the way in which he um, uh, makes life so full and overflowing. We, can, we could take minutes and hours to, to list all of the blessings that come to us from his hand. And oftentimes we are inclined to think of the material things first. As we give thanks to God, as we recognize that he, he is the giver, let's not forget, give, let's give for high priority to the blessings of the spiritual life. Paul mentions one of them here in verse 34. He says that uh, Christ who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. He gave us his son and now his son is turned around and sitting at the right hand of the Father and praying to God the Father about us so that our lives li live out what God has intended for us. We need to be grateful to God for his gifts. Every day, the, the common gifts that just fill our lives with his abundance. But we need to remember what James tells us also. Every good and every perfect gift is from, God, from the Father above. Sometimes we humans get so excited about the gifts that we are grateful for that we forget somebody gave them to us. God is the giver. He is the one who deserves the praise. He is the one who deserves the thanksgiving. God is for us. He continues to give us what we need day after day, day after day, year after year. The Bible passage that, uh, that Paul has given us here gives us even more reasons about to show to us and to reveal to us and help us to understand that God is for us. Back up to verse 28 where we began the reading in the first place. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
another sign of God's being for us is that he works for good. We, we're very familiar with verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. When you go to that verse, I encourage you to go to the next one. Don't stop with 28. Always add verse 20 because it defines what good is. When we read that in our own, in our own uh, way of thinking, God works in all things for good. And then we start thinking what good means. God gets to define the good. He's the one who determines the good that he's after in the experiences that we are going through. And his goodness is far better than anything we can imagine for ourselves anyhow. And then the next verse tells us, okay, here's what God has in mind. He predestined, though God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You want to know the good that God has in mind in what you're going through today? is to make you more like Christ, to make you more like his son. And, he's, and he's, he's, just, he's arranging and piecing things so that it all fits together, the end being that his purpose will be worked out in your life. Sometimes that's hard for us to, to grasp. We, we see things that are happening and we don't see the end results. And we're thinking, how can this ever, how can this ever be good? I want to challenge you to, if you, if you find it hard to believe that God is working for good in your life, try thinking about the alternative. That nobody's working for good in your life. Think of the chaos that goes with that. Think of the meaningless, meaninglessness of life if God is not at work in control as a sovereign God. <laughs> I read a story once about a, a boy who had been given a picture puzzle, for a, a jigsaw puzzle for his birthday. And he, took, he opened the box and then got going on it and he was trying it and nothing was making sense. It, it, he was getting nowhere. Some of the pieces were dark, some were light, some looked like they fit together, some looked like they must have come from a different box or something. And he, he was getting nowhere. Finally, in frustration, he just put all the pieces back in the box and gave it to his dad and said, here, you try it. I'm not getting anywhere. And in a few minutes, it was a small puzzle. It was a boy's birthday. It wasn't like a thousand piece. In a few minutes, he had it done. And the boy was amazed. How did you do that? The father explained, well, for one thing, I saw the picture on the box. And so I, I knew the picture from the beginning. I knew where it was going. I saw the picture. You saw the pieces. Okay, now, you're smart enough. You know where this is going, aren't, don't you? Out of life, what do we see? We see the pieces. God sees the picture. In fact, God drew the picture in the first place, if you, want to, if you want to expand on that. So life, day by day, to us, doesn't all fall into place. 
but life in its fullness by the God who is for us, by the God who knows what he wants to accomplish in our lives, makes a lot of sense because he's determined the picture in the first place. God is for us. He works for our good. We go down to verse 35 then for our, for our, our, our last reason or proof or result of God being for us where he asks the question, who shall separate, separate us from the love of Christ? And the rest of that passage gives us another reason to believe and to understand that God is for us. Uh, he sticks with us. When he asks the question, who shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He mentions a lot of possibilities. There's trouble, there's hardship, there's persecution, there's famine, there's nakedness or danger or sword. And a few verses later, he continues, death or life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height or depth. He go, and he's saying, no. None of those things can separate us from the love of God. And he comes to this conclusion and to me, this is a, 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 uh, a joyous, exuberant statement of his faith and what he's talking about here. I am convinced that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Life throws lots of curves at us, lots of un things that seem unlikable to us. But none of them can separate us from God. None of them ever means that he has left us. He is right there in the midst of it with us all the time. When Jesus left this earth and gave the great commission to his disciples, and said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven on earth. And he told us about the assignment to go to the nations. He adds, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The writer of Hebrews quotes an Old Testament verse saying, God saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. Sometimes we feel very alone forsaken, as though there's nobody there to, to catch us. God has promised. Christ has proven. He stays with us always for all time. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He never expects us to go out on our own. don't know what you're experiencing today. It might be as nice as the weather outside for what's going on in your life. Or maybe somewhere in there what other people don't even know. There might be some heaviness. There might be some feeling, boy, I don't really like what's going on today. There might be some questions about, this doesn't make sense at all. I'd like you to grab this main thought from verse 31 again. What shall we say in response to these things? Whatever these things are that's going on in your life, if God is for us, 
who can be against us? Our first song brought us that same, that same understanding. Since it is true that God is for us, that's all we need. Nothing in this life can ever win against us. He gave his son. He gives us everything that we need to live for his son. He works for good in our lives to make us more and more like his son. And he stays with us, never to leave us, never to forsake us. God is for us. Father in heaven, thank you for the assurances of your word that we can trust you in every day, in every situation. We know that you have us in your heart, that you have drawn us to your side. You have worked details according to your wonderful plan. So help us in, in the spot where we are to trust you, to rely upon you, to allow you to do your good work in us for your glory and for our good. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.